the immediate consequence of which was a fatal catastrophe, a turning of all things upside down, and the succession of a state of the most odious and dreadful confusion. Man did immediately set set up himself and the objects of his private affections and appetites as supreme. And so they took the place of God. These inferior principles are like fire in a house, which we say is a good servant, but a bad master. Very useful while kept in its place, but if left to take possession of the whole house, soon brings all to destruction. Man's love to his own honor, separate interest and private pleasure, which before was wholly subordinate unto love to God and regard to his authority and glory, now dispose and impel man to pursue those objects without regard to God's honor or law. Because there's no true regard to these divine things left in him. Here's the analogy that is super helpful. Fire in the house is a very useful thing. If you have a fireplace in your house, it's wonderful, isn't it? You gather your family around, it brings light and heat and comfort, and it gets the family together, it's a good thing. But it's only a good thing when it's kept in the fireplace. If it gets out, that's trouble. The whole house can burn down because it's not kept in its place. It can take over the whole house and, brings, and bring total destruction. It's a good servant when controlled, but a bad master when out of control. Now look at Romans 8 now in light of what we have considered so far. The flesh in Romans 8 means the human nature that has been reordered by sin. It's been turned upside down. Now the flesh is in charge. Your inferior principles, desire for pleasure, desire for acceptance, desire to protect yourself. Now those are the reigning principles. Now this is how you process life now in your sinful state. And things like love of God, concern for His glory, relationship with Him are not really part of your life anymore. It's just flesh. You're just living on that inferior, lower level. Everything has been turned upside down by sin. And we all have inherited the same nature from Adam and Eve. We're all the same in that. In our sinful state, we're like a house that has been turned upside down. It doesn't work. Rick Mihalczyk knows very well about houses that don't work. I think we've seen some of those houses when we hunted for houses in North County. If a house has gutters in the basement and sewers on the top, it doesn't work because it's not how it's designed to be. Rick, you've seen that house, right? The sewers on the top. And it's not how it's supposed to be. And so it doesn't work. There's no harmony in the structure. There's no inner peace in the person whose nature has been turned upside down. The point is that our nature has been radically changed by sin, by the fall that took place in the garden. Adam and Eve were obviously the people who were directly involved in that, but we are just like them, and we inherit the same nature. We do things the way they did things in the garden. 
Living according to the flesh, then, in our text here, means living according to the disordered, upside-down nature. Flesh, in many translations, I think NIV puts it, uh, translate as, as sinful nature. Flesh is sinful nature. It's because this flesh now is out of proportion. It's out of order. It's doing things it's not supposed to do. And it's created a whole human nature affected by sin that doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Listen to John Chrysostom. I'm going back a bit. This is 4th century. And John Chrysostom says this, and agreeing with Jonathan Edwards... 1700, so when you have two people in church history on either side of the spectrum agreeing with each other, it's a good thing. Chrysostom says about Romans 8, he says, this is not meant to be a disparagement of the flesh. So he's saying it's not about the body being bad. It's not about physical appetites being bad or a desire to be protected and preserved and accepted. Those are not bad things. He says... For as long as the, as the flesh keeps its place, nothing untoward will happen. But if we let it have its way in everything and allow the flesh to get out of hand, it will rise up against the soul and then destroy and corrupt everything. This is not because of its own nature, but because it's out of proportion and disorder will ensue. Again, Chrysostom says, The flesh must follow, not lead. And it must receive the laws of the Spirit, not seek to control. I'm giving you this kind of background, and I'm hopefully making you think, because it's important to understand these big realities before you start working it into your lives. And so, now let's look what it, what it looks like in our text. This is how Paul describes a life according to this disordered, reordered by sin, human nature. This life according to the flesh is a self-centered approach to life. He says that you set your mind on the flesh and on the things of the flesh. It's a mindset. It's an outlook on life that has the self at the center. So the way in the sinful state, the way all of us see life, is we're looking at everything from the perspective of me. So everything is important only as it relates to me. That's my mindset in my sinful state. I care about the flesh, my physical appetites, my desires for acceptance, self-love, all those kind of things. That's what's most important to me because now the flesh governs my life and my mind is set on the flesh and things of the flesh. We are consumed with how everything relates to me, to us. We make decisions exclusively based on how it would benefit me. Now, those decisions are not always bad. You can make a moral decision and do something good because it benefits you, but you are still doing that out of the mindset how to please yourself. This mindset quite naturally leads to death. To set your mind on the flesh is death. D.A. Carson defines flesh, D.A. Carson is a commentator and a, a teacher at Trinity, defines flesh as death-dealing sinful nature. That's your definition of flesh. Death-dealing sinful nature. 
the trajectory of sin is toward death. Now think about it. If God is the creator of everything, if He is quite simply the source of all life, and we dethrone Him, we've put now ourselves at the center and have excluded Him, the author of life, why would we expect anything but death? We've cut ourselves off from the source of life. Of course we're going to die. And so this life of the flesh leads to death. This life, according to the flesh, is hostile towards God. If self becomes the center, God is seen as a rival. And since God will never settle for any other place but the throne, the sinful nature will always oppose Him and be hostile to Him. And lastly, this life according to the flesh is marked by our inability to please God. If we live according to the flesh, again, you may do moral things. You may do culturally Christian things. You may be here at church. But if your life is according to the flesh, if the reason you're at church, if the reason you do a moral thing is to, to please you, to benefit you, apart from God altogether, you're not pleasing Him. Even your obedience is not pleasing to Him, let alone disobedience to His law. Disordered nature results in disordered life. We cannot please God if our natures are not right because everything is going to be tainted by that. Okay, how does that relate to us today? Let's, let's make some application here. I, I, I don't want to be too heavy this morning and, and have you walk out with abstract categories on your mind. If you accept these ideas, these biblical ideas of perfect human nature being changed by the fall and becoming disordered, the flesh reigning over the spirit now, this really helps us understand our culture. Why is our culture so sensual? Why is it so materialistic? Where we lived in Chicago, a family with a child would build this huge mansion on the block. Why? They don't need that space. I used to run through Boys Town, and I don't know if you're familiar with Boys Town, it's a neighborhood in Chicago that, that typically hosts the Gay Pride Parade. And I, when I run through the neighborhood, I would be just amazed how overtly sensual the neighborhood is. Why is that? We have to ask, why is that true of our culture? Why is personal good and happiness trumps everything else? Why are our teachers preoccupied with self-esteem of the student? Why has the Supreme Court redefined what marriage is based on the personal preferences of individuals? Why is it happening? It's really quite simple. Disordered natures lead to disordered culture. 
Not just disordered individual life, but a disordered culture. You put a bunch of people who are experiencing internal tension, who are living according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit, who are putting their, their inferior principles above the superior principles of human nature, of course we're going to get a disordered society. There's no other way to do it. Now, it could be disordered in their commitment to morality, like it was for years. But it could also be disordered according to their, their license for immorality and things that are overtly godless. Now, as we think about our culture, none of us should be surprised at this. Because we are sinners. Sinners sin. You get a lot of sinners together and they come up with new ways to sin. You get even more sinners together and they pass laws that support their sin. There's no surprise there. Life according to the flesh is essentially sensual and materialistic. It's going to be reflected in our culture. We need to understand why it's happening. It's not rooted in legislature. It's not rooted in culture as such. It's rooted in people's natures that have been affected by the fall. Those, those are normal outworkings of sin inside. Of course, they're going to come out in our culture. Now, the other thing that this, these ideas help us understand is helping understand myself. Helping me understand my own heart, my own struggles. Helping you understand your own hearts and your own struggles. I'm going to go right to the controversial topic, okay, as an illustration on this. One, because I think we need to be talking about it openly. And two, because I think that is something that is probably some of us are dealing with right now. Let's say you are experiencing same-sex attraction. You just realize that one day. What do you do? How do you deal with that? Now, I hope that we are a kind of church where you can talk about it with others, first of all. Where you can share that, where you can get counsel from other people, where you can be open with your inner struggles as you talk to other people. But how do you process it personally? One common response is to say, this is who I am. Because this is how God made me. I feel this because I am this because God meant for me to be this way. Many people process it in this way. I feel it. It must be part of my nature. Where does my nature come from? It comes from God. This might, must be how God created me, so it must be okay and good for me to follow through on this. Friends, as gently as I can, I would like to tell you that it's a lie to think that way. We are deceived when we think that what I feel is who I am because God made me this way. We're missing a step. We are not in the original pre-sin state anymore. So what I feel comes out of my disordered nature. Whatever that is. Yes, I picked a particular issue, but we can put anything there. 
any type of lust, any type of greed, any type of desire that is so strong in you, you don't know what to do with it. It's not there because God placed it there. The way you were made was not this way. But this is what you became under sin. And so what you're wrestling with, what you're dealing with inside, is not necessarily from God. It's coming from your reordered by sin nature. Some of it is from God. You were born with the desire for intimacy, for acceptance, for pleasure. You were made that way by God. But sin has reordered it. So now you're seeking those things apart from God, apart from the superior principles of His Spirit, and you're trying to find all of that in your flesh. That's not how it's supposed to be. Does it feel any less real when you know that? Probably not. But it's a lie to think that what I feel is what I am because God made me this way. So as you process that, any temptation, any desire that you know because you're a church kid, because you're a church member, you know it's not according to God's law, as you process any of that, please keep in mind that you are a reordered by sin person. And there's going to be tension, there's going to be confusion, there's going to be questions in your heart. But process it under the categories of Scripture that say you were made this way, but then sin changed you, and now you're different. And flesh now reigns over the Spirit. Now another common thing we hear and say is, I'm only human. When do you say that, I'm only human, or I'm just human? When do you say that? Can anybody help me when that is used? When you mess up real bad, yeah. When you do something wrong, when you sin, we say, only human. Why are we saying that? Because we equate human nature with sinful nature. They're different. To be human in the sense that God designed us to be is to be like Adam and Eve before they sinned, enjoying the garden within a relationship with God, fully fulfilled and accepted by God. That's human. We're not human anymore in that sense. We just now have a human, human nature that's been disordered by sin. And so it's not right to say, I'm only human. Humans don't do that, what you just did. Sinners do. I'm only sinful is okay. But let's say what it is. Let's say that to each other. Now, we need to process these things, these, these inner struggles, these, this tension that we all feel in light of how we were made by God, what sin did to us in the garden, and now finally, this is the, the good part of the sermon, we get to who we are and what we are in Christ. You were made one way, sin messed you up, and now Christ has come to redeem you and change you. We were perfect, became sinful, and now we can be something different in Christ. Look at verse 9. Paul says, You, however, he's talking to you believers, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, to Christ. Here's the logic. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And you are in the Spirit. When Paul is describing this, this tension between the flesh and the Spirit and saying, this is how you live according to the flesh. And then he turns to the believers and says, but you do not live like that. You are not like that. Something happened to you. You know what it is, but you're not like that anymore because you are in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. We need to hear that, okay? If, if you're a believer who's struggling with these issues, you need to accept what God is telling you this morning. You are not like that. You're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the Spirit. You're in Christ. Your nature has been changed by the Spirit because you are in Christ. The disordered, sinful nature has been once again reordered so that we are no longer living according to the flesh, consumed with ourselves, speeding towards death, set against God, unable to please Him. Now we can live according to the Spirit, who is life and peace. And all of that is available to us in Christ, in our connection with Him. How could such a transformation happen? Well, not because we have tried real hard and reordered our natures. That's not how it works. It's not because I got my act together. And so now I have submitted my flesh to the Spirit and that tension is gone. That doesn't happen that way. Somebody else had to come and reorder my nature. Jesus did something for us. Follow the logic of the gospel. God, who is spirit, became flesh. Think about that statement in light of all that we have said about flesh and spirit, human and divine. God became the combination of flesh and spirit, human and divine. Jesus became what he wanted to save. He wasn't going to do it from afar. He was going to become flesh and reorder our natures from within. The doctrine of the incarnation is essential to the gospel. God becoming human is essential for us to believe, to understand how we are saved. Jesus had a mindset that was not on the flesh but on the spirit. And so did he live a life consumed with himself? No. He lived a life, a human, in the true sense of the word, a human life, serving others, even dying for others, suffering for others. He lived a life that was pleasing to God. Jesus never sinned. His nature was never affected by sin. And so he lived a perfectly human life, fulfilling all the requirements of God's law. He pleased the Father. Jesus came as a second Adam to reverse the effects of first Adam's fall. In Christ, our nature has been reordered. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he followed the trajectory of sin all the way to death, where it logically goes. And yet, it wasn't because he sinned. It wasn't because he lived according to the flesh, which is death, but because he did that for sinners who deserve death for us. Walk that trajectory all the way where it leads so we don't have to do that. And so die to death that we deserve. When Jesus rose from the dead, He sent the Holy Spirit to give us new life. What kind of life is that? Is that a slightly improved life here? No. It's a different nature of a life. It's a different quality of a life. It's a life that now operates out of this new, reordered nature inside of us. The Holy Spirit coming into your life, which is what what Scripture calls new birth, or we, we refer to it as salvation. That moment in time when the Holy Spirit gets into your heart and so reorders your affections, your nature, so that you start loving God. For the first time since the fall, now you can love Him. You can please Him because your heart has been changed. You couldn't do that before. You could only do what the flesh told you to do before. But now, the Holy Spirit, who had been gone from you, has been returned to you. That's conversion. That's regeneration. That's new birth. All of that happens because God wants it to happen in your heart because God is gracious to you. God changes you, reorders your nature. And now you can live according to the Spirit. We've all been born of the flesh. We've all inherited the sinful nature. And some have been born of the Spirit, acquiring a new reordered nature in Christ. Let me ask you, have you been born again? Have you been regenerated Have you encountered the Holy Spirit in Christ in such a way that now your life is according to the Spirit? You like things you didn't used to like. Your heart has been changed. You love God. You didn't love Him before. Your mindset is now on the things of the Spirit. The superior principles are starting to control the inferior principles of your life. Friends, are you in Christ? I can't move you there, but I can ask you. I can implore you. I can encourage you to consider Christ today. Now, my last point. What are we becoming? What are we becoming now? You might be thinking, okay, I am a believer. I've been born again. I'm a new creature in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and yet I still struggle with sin. And sometimes, at least sometimes, I follow the inferior principles of the flesh without considering God at all. Why is the inner tension is still here? If I am in Christ, my nature has been reordered, as Scripture says, shouldn't that tension be resolved? Well, here's the answer. The transformation has begun, but it is not yet complete. We are in between. 
You see, it began at conversion, when you've been miraculously changed into a new creation in Christ. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it's all one event. The transformation will continue until the final resurrection, when you will receive a new glorified body and you will be completely changed into the image of Christ. That's verse 11 is, is what, what it's about. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is yet to come. And we're in between. The transformation has begun. Your nature has been reordered. And now, until the final resurrection, it's growing, it's changing. The Holy Spirit is working in you. You are walking in step with the Spirit. Do you have everything you need to succeed? Yes, but you also have everything else against you. You have remnants of the old nature. You have the world is based on, on ungodly principles. You have the devil who is meddling in, in, in your affairs. All of that is true, and we're wrestling against that until this transformation is complete. The tension I started with between the flesh and the spirit, making decisions, fighting yourself as well as outside factors, it's true for believers. It's true for us. It's not a sign that you're not a believer. The fact that you're wrestling with the flesh is a sign that the spirit is active in you. So as a believer... You are in the Spirit. Now live according to the Spirit. Live according to your new nature. Christian life could be reduced to this one simple command. Be who you are. Be who you already are. Be consistent with what God has remade you in Christ. That's it. Work out your new nature. Walk according to the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 5. Now briefly, this is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. To, set your, to, to live according to the Spirit. This is the opposite of what it means to live according to the flesh. Number one, to set your mind on the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. Your focus changes. You become preoccupied with God. God is at the center of your life. Is that true of your life? Are you preoccupied with God? That preoccupation, that focus on God dominates your life and informs all your other things that you're doing. That does not mean you spend all your time in prayer and Bible reading. It doesn't mean that. It just means that everything else gets filtered through that preoccupation of God, this new mindset. Number two, we can experience life and peace even now. So this life of harmony that I'm talking about is available now, but it's available in glimpses. It's not going to be complete here. Because we're in a sinful world still wrestling with our sinful natures. It will happen when the transformation is complete. But even now, we get glimpses. You get peace. You get life. You feel at times that 
I am who I'm supposed to be. This is how God envisioned me. And through Christ, I'm finally fulfilling that. And it feels right. It feels good. And you say, this is who I am. I knew I was somebody different. This is who I am. And there's joy that comes through that. Is it going to be a consistent experience? No. But you should get enough of that to know what it's like. So you would long for the completion of the transformation. To walk by the Spirit, number three, means to submit to God's will and God's law. When we talk about listening to the Spirit, it is not the same as listening to your heart. Because your heart has been disordered by sin. Your heart will tell you all sorts of awful things. You can't follow your heart. No matter what Disney tells you, you cannot follow your heart. When you listen to the Spirit, yes, some of it is subjective, but some of it is objective. God gave us a book where He describes to us what this new life is supposed to be like. So whatever you're hearing in your heart that's against this is not from the Spirit. The Spirit will not contradict Himself. Whatever He tells you in the book is what He's also going to tell you into your heart. And so when you look at your life and you say, am I walking by the Spirit? Am I living according to the Spirit? The question is, am I being obedient to God's commands? There's an external standard of Scripture by which we can evaluate our life before God. When we came to candidate at Chatham, seems like years ago at this point, our whole family came. Elizabeth came with us, but Elizabeth and Jacob are here, so we're excited to host them, the first visitors from, from our old life. But we all came here, and, and my kids were, you know, the conversation was, well, how should we act, you know, what do we do? And, and of course, there's always, just be yourself, you know, to which I always put the brakes on that. And I, and I say, <laughs> don't just be yourself, be your sanctified self. <laughs> be true to who you are, the way God made you. We don't want you to pretend. We don't want you to to appear more obedient than you are, and, and, and we don't want you to be hypocritical. But yet we do want you to live the way God wants you to live. So be yourselves in the new nature that Christ has given you. That's good for us to think about. I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to change who I am. I am a combination of flesh and spirit the way God made me. It's important for me to eat. It's important for me to do things that my flesh wants me to do, but it's all submitted to this superior principles of God's relationship with us, of God's glory, of God's law. And we know from Scripture what it looks like. And finally, number four, this life, according to the Spirit, pleases God. It pleases God. So we filter our decisions through this does this decision please God? If I want to walk by the Spirit, that's my question. How can I please God even as I struggle with this inner tension? What do I do that would be pleasing to Him? As I wrestle with my old nature, how do I do that for the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 34 1 Corinthians 10.34, good verse to remember. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, pretty comprehensive, whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God? That's the question. How do I walk by the Spirit? Well, I have a different mindset. I'm preoccupied with God. I'm not opposing God and His law anymore. I'm submitting myself to His commands. I'm not hostile to Him anymore. I'm, I'm walking in step with His Spirit, doing what He wants me to do. I'm listening to Him. And I'm doing all of that to please Him, to bring glory to Him. Practically, I can fast or I can feast for the glory of God because the Spirit rules over the flesh. I can glorify God by marrying someone or by staying single. What is glorifying to God? Given my struggles, given my wrestling with my old nature, how do I glorify Him? That's the question we ask when we try to sort out what it looks like to live according to the Spirit. Well, I'm done preaching, but we're not done experiencing Christ. We're coming to the table, and what a fitting end to this topic. What do we see at the Lord's table? This is so appropriate. We see the reordered relationship between the flesh and the Spirit. Here at this table, we see the bread and drink pointing to the body and blood of our Savior. Inferior principles submitted to superior principles. Flesh submitted to the Spirit. As His nature, Christ's nature, was reordered for us, God becoming man, Spirit becoming flesh, so our natures are being reordered for Him. If you're not a believer, this is a challenge to you this morning. You see what Christ offers, even at this table. You see His broken body for you, His spilled blood for you to bring you into a relationship with God and to reorder your nature. You see it. Do you accept it? That's your challenge. Do you accept it? If you don't accept it, don't come to the table. At best, it's, it's a ritual. At worst, you're coming into a reality that you're not ready to deal with. But if you are a believer... Your challenge is live according to the Spirit. We're going to physically walk, if you're able to walk to the table. If you're not able to get to the table, uh, one of our elders, Kevin, is going to pass out communion. He's going to find you and, and, and give you communion so you're not excluded from this, this feast of the church. But as you walk or as you wait, ask yourself as a believer, am I walking according to the Spirit? according to the nature that's been reordered, what does my life look like if the Spirit was in control of my flesh? Let's pray, and then we're going to take communion together and sing in praise of our God. Father, we praise you. Praise you specifically today for your good design of creation, making us a harmonious combination of flesh and spirit glorifying you and yet being totally satisfied in your glory. Focused on you and yet having everything we need for a fulfilling human existence. We also reflect on what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve and all of us in them dislodged the flesh from the spirit 
turned everything upside down, walked away from you, now unable to please you, unable to honor you, unable to live a life you've designed us to live, the good life that is offered to us again in Christ. And so as we come to the table, let us think on that. We have a new life in Christ. Our natures have been reordered through His life, death, and resurrection. He sent Your Holy Spirit so we can live differently even now. Sure in glimpses, and sure still struggling, looking forward to the completion of this redemption, and yet we can live according to the Spirit now. Give us Your power, Holy Spirit, to do that. Talk to us believers about what it looks like in our lives. What what do I need to change? How do I submit to the Spirit more and better? How do I challenge this disorder of flesh and spirit in my own life, in my own heart, in my own family, in my relationships, at my work, in my neighborhood? Lord, help us to figure it out. Teach us and feed us at this table. We need your grace. We need your Spirit to work in our hearts, to continue to change us so we can become who you want us to become. And so please, I pray that you would meet us at this table. We remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're doing together. If you're able to come, come. If you're not able to come, stay. And uh, Kevin is going to bring communion to you.